Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. Thank you for joining me. Good morning, Brady. I see you're already here this morning. Today's going to be a good day. We have a couple things to go over. An article that is turfgrass related rather than soil related. So that'll be, um, I think, a little bit more practical for some folks, I suppose. We have some membership stuff I'm going to go over with some of the associations and I have a stain. I figured, finally figured out, I couldn't figure out how to put a photo on this thing. So I just put it in PowerPoint and then I'm going to show this photo of some staining, concrete staining with some foliar products. Hope everybody's doing well. Back to the normal routine, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'll be here this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 10 a.m. And then Wednesday night for the Wednesday night show. And then I'll be on the Crash Factor on Thursday night at nine, I think. So that's the that's a full week this week. I've had a fairly long break. I guess a couple weeks. I haven't really been on that much because of the Christmas holidays and so forth. So it's nice to get back. You guys may have noticed there's been videos going up every day or yeah, pretty much every day of the holiday I've been posting out a schedule of videos. They're already already they're already processed and produced. They're just scheduled to go on one a day. I think that goes on for another two or three days. I've been breaking up some of the videos into more digestible content. So hope you all have been enjoying that. I have a question or two that I'll go over some well, some point in more detail, but just don't forget that the the channel has a lot of the content categorized on playlists. So if you're looking for information on phosphorus, then you can just go to the phosphorus playlist or warm season grasses, just go to the warm season grass playlist and it should help you navigate some of the content. So don't forget about that if you're looking for something specific. What I wanna do First here is I'm going to end up going back and forth a little bit for those listening. This is hopefully I'll, I'll do my best to explain it, but I'll have to go back and forth a little bit between myself and the internet because I think a lot of the content that I'm going to talk about it. Some of it is, is personal. So like credit card information and things like that. So I'll try to go back to me and avoid releasing any personal information about me. <laughs> um, what I want to do today, I'm my uh, ASA membership is expired, expired, I think a week ago. And I wanted to go through that and show people how to be a member if you want to be a member. As you all know, I go over scientific articles and discuss the evidence on various topics in turf grass science. And a lot of that information comes from the, one of the journals of the tri societies, which is the agronomy or the crop or the soil science Society of America. I've uh, been a member for, I don't know, decade or two or whatever it is. And if you want to view or read that content, you have to be a member unless the article has been pre, uh, prepaid as open access. So the authors can prepay for it to be open access to anybody, but that's not very common. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's not that many. So if you want, if you're so inclined to go and read more about this stuff, 
you you have to be a member or, or don't forget you can just go to a normal library it's a little bit more convoluted and broken up a little bit because you may have to actually put in an inter interlibrary loan request to get some of the content from these journals they, in other words they may have to actually get a journal from an older journal or maybe not maybe you can go to the library and you can just download the content uh, via the library's access or whatever so for example if you're a member or you're a student at i don't know purdue and you can go to the purdue library and you can access a lot of this information without being a member of the societies i know i can do that at the university of kentucky libraries if you're a student or, or faculty i'm no longer faculty there but you could do that when i was there so you can access this a number of different ways if you don't want to go to the trouble of going to a library and getting a library membership and all that stuff, or if you go to the library and for some reason you can't access it, then you'll need to become a member. So I wanted to go through that today. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go back and forth on this probably because <laughs> I don't want to show any information that is potentially critical for me. Uh, but if you are interested, you can go to crops.org, agronomy.org, or soils.org. And you can go to this button right here that says join. The, the main website will have a join as my account, donate, and login, and so forth. You can just hit join. In my case, I would hit login. What happens if you hit join? I haven't actually hit join. Oh, so it just brings you to the same login page. So if I would hit login, it goes to the same page. So so you go to this login and then you can go to uh, create account. If you're if you're not already a member, I would assume you would hit create account. So I'm going to go back to me right now because I don't know exactly what's going to pop up here when I log in. So I'm going to log in and I'm going to go through the whole process and I'm going to show you my invoices from last year. So you know what it cost last year relative to this year and, and so this way you'll know exactly if you're so inclined to be a member what it would cost you to have access to all these journals okay so when i hit login um well it says i don't have access to boots <laughs> because i'm not a member i membership lapsed a week or two or whatever so when you you can become a member or when I, i'm going to log in i'm going to go to my membership and again i'm sorry i'm not going to show this on the internet right now i'm just going to describe it verbally when I click on my membership, I think that's what it, I should click. Yeah. So when I click on that, my membership, it has my information and then it has a renew button. So I'm going to click on the renew button and I'm going like, to, I'm going to show you, I'm going to tell you the costs and the prices. And I'm going to compare that to what I previously paid for in, um, in the last year or two. I'm going to show you my invoice. So you know exactly what it costs. So when you hit renew, you have a variety of different membership types. Uh, the next, um, well, I think there's like an emeritus membership. There's a student membership, which is only like 60 bucks or something or whatever it is, 70 bucks. There's a um, professional membership. Uh, there's all sorts of different memberships you can select from. Obviously, some of them you have to qualify for as a student. You have to have a student. Uh, you know, I think you have to have a, maybe a, a, a faculty member, uh, you know, say, yes, you're my student. Regardless, select your membership, but you want to be i'm a professional member which says inv individuals who are interested in agronomic crop soil and environmental science and related disciplines so i hit next hopefully this all works I haven't okay so now so here's all the different memberships 
the next page, and I'm sorry, I'm not showing this on YouTube, but the next page has the membership rate selection. So you can just be a member of one society. And for the ASA, it was $140 for each society. So $140 just for ASA or the crop science or the soil science. Um, but it says new, your membership now unlocks unlimited access to the ASA crop science or soil science journals in our online library. Eliminate the need for separate purchases. In the past, you have to pay $50 for access to each journal. So on top of your membership, so you'd pay whatever it was, 250 or 350 for your membership, and then you'd pay another $50 for your access to the journals. So it's my understanding that you can just select one association. I'm going to select all three, but it's $140 just for one. And if you can, you can uh, purchase all three of them for 250 so I'll purchase all three of them just because that's what I've always done. And uh, there's, I, to be honest with you, there's really no need for me to do that anymore because well, all it gives me now is access to vote and to to serve on committees and boards and things like that, which I don't ever do anymore. I'm not a I'm not a reviewer or an editor or anything like that anymore. I guess well maybe I'm a reviewer occasionally, but um, I don't really serve on anything. So I don't I don't really need to be a membership to be frank. <laughs> but you know. Um, I still want access to the journals and so forth. So, but if, if all you want is access to the journals and you're not going to be voting or running for office or anything like that, then, um, just, then you can just select one of the member, one of the associations select crop, crop science, for example, for $140. And that's all it would cost you to have access to all the published literature that I've been, that I'm going over in the, in these journals. So I'm going to select all three though. So I'm going to select all three and then go to next. I'm just doing this so that I'm, we're hundred percent clear on exactly what it would cost you to have access to all of this stuff that I've been going over. So 250 for the tri society memberships and you can act, you can donate and all this other stuff if you want to. Um, and I'm going to hit express checkout. I would, like I said, again, I would show you this stuff, but uh, here's my name. So I got to put on all this information into my, uh, that's private information, credit card and money information and so forth. And next. It's thinking. Okay, so order confirmed. Thank you for your purchase. And again, I can't show you this information either because it has my ID information on it. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I can't show this screen. But it's, it was $250. So that's what it costs for all three societies. $140 just for one, which would also give you access to all the journals. So $140. Bucks. Now what I want to show you is... I'm going to hit done here. Make sure this goes through here. It's awful slow this morning for some reason. Okay. Oh, then it asked me. Oh, I see. It asked me for all these committees and stuff like that. So I'm not going to do any of that. Okay. So I'm done. Uh, yeah, I'm done. So I'm going to hit finish. 
So now what I want to do is I want to go to the PDF uh, to show you my invoices from last year. So I paid $250 just now. You can pay $140 and get access to all the stuff, all the, all the journals and so forth. So let me get this open, and I want to go to PDF. This is la last year's, my last year's invoice for the Tri-Societies, which is which was 218 so instead of 240 it was 218 or so to say 220 but to access all the all the journals it was $130 just to get access to the journals so it, it ended up cost me 350 last year where now it's only 200 and, um 240 or whatever i said okay the prior year it was it was $20 less i think it was 320 or 330 or whatever it was okay so so you know that's what it would cost you to to go over all this stuff if you ever were so inclined to read through it. All right, let's go back to me. Um, so uh, thank you for the ASA. They just saved me a hundred dollars. I didn't have to pay the three fifty. I only paid two fifty and um, renewed my membership. And if things continue as they're continuing with what I'm doing, I probably will just go to one one association next year and save myself another hundred dollars. So it would be only be 140 instead of 240 or whatever I said I just paid. Okay, so that's that. I wanted to show you all that before I went too far down the road. Now, let's go to the PowerPoint. I had a question on a on a what do you call it a web chat thing whatever web board chat board or whatever about foliar applied I'm, i was showing i was showing granular stains and i had a question about is there any difference between foliar applied stains and you know iron sources in terms of their ability to stain concrete or stain anything when it's applied as a liquid and i've done some work with that years and years ago and I couldn't figure out how to get it on the internet on the show here. So now I just finally figured it out. Anyway, this is a photograph of, for those listening, I'm showing a photograph of some concrete, white concrete pavers laying out on my lawn in Gainesville years ago. This is 10, 15 years ago. And what I did was I sprayed each one of these pavers with the, with foliar products from the company that I worked for back then, all the foliar products that contained an iron source. Okay. So you can see that on the, on the photograph, we're dealing with, um, I guess, 18 pavers. <coughs> okay. So the bottom two in the, or the two in the bottom right are the controls. So I just sprayed those two with the liquid, with the, uh, with the solution, the carrier solution that I was using. And I, I tried my best to find the notebook that I had all the products on. Sorry, I'm getting something here. So I could tell you exactly what everything was here. I can't find it. I mean, this is 10 or 15 years old. Whenever I took this photograph, I can't remember when I actually took it. But I stopped working with that company 10 years ago, so it's probably 15 years old, and I can't find the book. It's probably stashed away in a box downstairs somewhere. But I know vaguely what I did, okay? So I'm not going to use the exact product names or anything like that. The bottom right two 
are the are just the water with nothing in it and you can see what the paper looks like and it's very white the, both the pavers are very white the um the other pavers almost all of them are the same color as the two control pavers there's a couple of them that aren't so let's let me just vaguely explain what i what you're looking at and what i did without going into detail because i don't have the exact map of what products are were on which block the top row is basically the same color as the control there might be a little bit of discoloration in in one of these let me see if i can draw here draw am i drawing no okay there might be a little bit of discoloration in like these these here maybe but not much at all and there's one a little bit of discoloration like a grayish discoloration in the one on the far right the middle row is more or less the same as the top row where there's not a lot of discoloration at all except for the top the far left two obviously these two which are brown stained concrete are very obvious that they're brown and uh, stained this one and then this this one here the next one next to it is a little less brown but you can see it's it's clearly starting to to turn color compared to the other ones uh, so those two have some staining going on and then the other pavers at the bottom row are, are are nothing they look basically the same as the control okay this was a couple of days after i had sprayed each one of these pavers now what i did was i used all the products that contained iron in this in the in the portfolio the, the products that we were selling this one that's stained heavily contained again it's best my recollection okay contained it was the only one that contained iron in the sulfate form was the really red uh, or the really brown paper here contained iron in the sulfate form and it was very high percentage of iron in that solution and the one next to it contained um sulfate but it was a lower concentration of iron sulfate so you see there's not as much stain now keep now what i haven't told you yet is i sprayed these uh these pavers at 20 times i sprayed them 20 times so i sprayed them at the labeled rate and i did it 20 times so that i mean i don't know who's going to spray pavers over and over and over for 20 consecutive days or any 20 times you're going to spray the lawn in one year probably that's never going to happen so in other words it's the worst case scenario no one's ever going to spray a lawn or their driveway 20 times with a high rate of foliar iron sulfate I, at least that's unlikely i should say so i wanted to really push these other products that contained iron as iron citrate or a key, there were there were a chelated form of iron, even though I don't consider citrate a chelated. It, it was in the citrate form. They weren't sulfated iron, is what I'm saying. The other all the other blocks contained iron, but they weren't pure iron sulfate. They were either iron glucoheptanate or iron citrate. Okay, I believe those were the only two forms of iron in the foliar line at that time were the citrate and glucoheptanate, and then sulfate. Okay. So if you're ever wondering what's going to happen or what could happen between a sulfate foliar iron or a chelated foliar iron, this is what could happen. I mean, the sulfate is still going to stain just like the granular would, but it's going to be extremely uniform and it's going to take a lot. Well, not a lot, but it's going to take a, a fair amount to turn it that color. But if you spray it two or three times a year, every year in the same spot, you know, you're going to see some discoloration as opposed to the other forms of iron in the study. And I'm sorry, I can't find the map. N nothing I can do. It's gone. Um, but the other forms were K2, 
chelated. And I didn't see any discoloration from the chelated forms of iron on this on the concrete. Okay, so that goes to that person who asked the question, I don't know, a day or two ago in the in the blog. Let's go back to me. Okay, so that's that. Now, so we've done the membership, we've shown some foliar stains. What I want to do today is talk about the influence of foliar versus granular iron, manganese, and magnesium on turf grass. We've been talking a lot about the solubility of iron in the soil. We've gone over of several studies that have shown the value of applying iron to the soil is very low. Even if it's chelated, we one of the one of the larger studies we've ever discussed it was last week when we talked about a number of iron sources on several soils, including chelated iron, including sulfated iron, and so forth. And the only thing that really had any increase in soluble iron in the soil were the three chelates: EDTA, DTPA, and EDDHA. Those three chelates were valuable. Uh, below pH 7. Above pH 7, it was DTPA and EDDHA. And then when you got way up in the 7s, like 7, 8, 7, 9, it was only EDDHA that had any sort of influence on maintaining iron solubility in the soils. We've shown some other studies or we've discussed other studies where, and we'll continue to discuss a few more, where we've looked at iron in the soil or granular applied iron and found very little uh, value to it. We've shown foliar applied iron and shown some value to that. Okay, so we've kind of been going around hit and miss here and there on iron in the soil. This study today is entitled St. Augustine Grass Quality and Nutrient Content in Response to Granular and Foliar Iron, Manganese, and Magnesium. This was published in Crop Science in 2020 by Myself, Dr. Unruh, and Natasha. This study was conducted in Florida. I wrote it and published it when I was at Kentucky. So the setup behind this continues to follow the same mindset from my years of experience in the fertilizer business where we have a lot of products going out that contain granular products going out that contain iron, manganese, and magnesium with some sort of belief that they're going to increase the greening of the grass. Okay. There's also a lot of foliar products that go out with those three elements, iron, manganese, and magnesium as a, like a micronutrient blend or micronutrient foliar package and all these things. And the state of Florida and some environmental nitwits decided to get in the ear of uh, some politicians in Florida and they banned a lot of uh nutrient applications in the summertime in Florida, which is exactly what you don't want to do on turf grass. Okay. They somehow convinced these politicians who, you know, don't know up from down when it comes to turf grass that they should eliminate nitrogen applications in the summertime on, on St. Augustine grass makes no sense. So there are phosphorus bands in Florida. There are limitations on nitrogen in Florida. So when the grass basically is growing and it has the greatest capacity to take it up is when some uh, areas of Florida are restricting its application. <laughs> it's absurd, <laughs> but whatever. 
So the, the, the challenge then is when you're dealing with ignorant politicians who are instituting policies that are not based on evidence, we still have to figure out some way to address our stakeholders needs. And the need at that point is, well, how do we maintain turf quality and growth during the hot, wet summer times in Florida when we can't apply any nutrition and any nitrogen or phosphorus in, the, in some locations? And so this, these uh, associations who are uh, more inclined to believe, you know, space aliens landed in you know, the Amazon, then they believe the evidence published in scientific literature, they say, well, you should just apply iron and manganese, iron and manganese or apply magnesium. It'll turn the grass green without knowing anything about the plant. They just say that, oh, you should just spray out iron or spread out or granular iron during the summertime and it'll keep the grass green. Instead, because when you where you can't apply nitrogen, you should just spread out iron and these other elements that'll help. So regardless of the, the idiocy behind that and the lack of evidence to support that, we, we as faculty and well, they as faculty now, I'm not faculty anymore. They still have to figure out some way to, you know, help the stakeholders, help the, the, the consumers, you know, is this, how do we do this now? And so this study was, uh, sort of tangentially designed around that concept. And you'll see what I mean when I get to the, to the applications and so forth. So we're going to be applying these three elements in, in two different forms, granular and liquid, and we're going to be doing it in a way that would hopefully or potentially address this idea that you can apply these elements instead of nitrogen to maintain turf quality when you can't apply nitrogen. Okay. I'm going to be showing almost all the data in graph form because there's, and I'll show you in a second, there's so much data in here. We'd be here for three weeks going over it. So I'm going to show it in a graph form because it's just easier to, to consume and to understand that way. So the introduction, nutrients such as iron, manganese, and magnesium are commonly applied, yet evidence supporting their use on turf grass is scarce. Some turf managers may assume that iron, manganese, and magnesium increase turf quality. Numerous sources are available to provide iron, manganese, and magnesium, including both granular and foliar forms. Regardless of how the element is delivered to the turfgrass system, the inclusion of iron, manganese, and magnesium into the turfgrass nutrition programs increases cost. You can't get it for free. So if you can't get it for free, you're paying for it. And if you're paying for it, we need to know agronomically, is there any value? Therefore, it is essential to determine the agronomic value of applying iron, manganese, and magnesium in the turfgrass system. So I go through iron here and explain some basic information on iron, which you can go through if you want to. I'm not going to in this particular thing because it's going to be a very long day. <laughs> this is a very long study. Um, I'm going to read through the introduction. I'm going to come back to table one. Granular and foliar applied iron, manganese, magnesium are commonly in, common in turfgrass. Turfgrass responses are, to iron, manganese, magnesium is inconsistent or not well documented. In order to justify the increased cost of purchasing applying these nutrients, further investigation is necessary. Therefore, the hypothesis of this study was that iron, manganese, and magnesium fertilizers will increase St. Augustine grass quality, growth, and leaf concentration of iron, manganese, magnesium. So I'm there. That's that's what we're going to hypothesize applying iron and manganese and magnesium will increase the quality and the growth and the elements in the, in the tissue. All right. So, you know, you know let me read the materials and method and then I'll go back to table one. Cause that table one is very important. <clears throat> okay. Materials and methods. <clears throat> and it has to do with the products. 
which is in the materials and methods. This study was conducted over two years at two locations. So this is not a normal study in the sense of we're doing a study for two years in the middle of Florida, or we're doing a study for one year in a laboratory somewhere. We're doing it for two years, two consecutive years in central Florida and two consecutive years in Northwest Florida. Okay. Two different locations, two years over between 2014 and 2015 one was at the west florida research center and one was at the gc horn research center in citra which is if you don't know where citra is it's just barely north of ocala in the middle the dead center of florida the hottest place in florida is ocala florida north of florida north of ocala florida and the wettest place in florida is the west florida research and education center in northwest florida people think it's miami or, or the keys or something it's not it's it's the pensacola area of florida that gets the most water most rain and the hottest people think Miami and Fort Lauderdale is hot. It's not. It's North Central Florida that's hot. It's the hottest part in Florida. I digress. Okay, plots were arranged on Palmetto St. Augustine grass that had been established for greater than five years. So it's a well-established turf. It's not new. It's fully established. Been there for five years. Treatments included untreated turf grass. I should have said non-treated turf grass. That's a that's a writing flaw on my part. Liquid. Uh, liquid iron glucoheptanate, liquid iron sulfate, granular iron sulfate, granular iron sucrate. Then we have the same for manganese and the same for magnesium. Liquid manganese glucoheptanate, liquid manganese sulfate, granular manganese sulfate, granular manganese sucrate, all this stuff. I'll go through it in a second. Treatments were applied on June 1, July 1, August 1, and September 1 of 2014. And then the 1st of June, the 1st of July, the 1st of August, and the 1st of September 2015. Liquid and granular treatments were applied at, so the liquid products were applied at 2.2 kilograms, which is two pounds per, roughly two pounds per acre. The liquids were, so two, I should have said two pounds. Yeah, oh, I did. Two pounds of iron per acre, two pounds of manganese per acre, two pounds of magnesium per acre, or as a, as a liquid, or 20 pounds of those elements if it was applied as a granular. So we have a foliar rate and a, and a granular rate, which was based upon prior research. Okay. Uh, liquid treatments were dissolved in water and applied through a backpack sprayer. Granular treatments were applied by hand. Irrigation was suspended on the day of treatments on the day treatments were applied and reinitiated the following morning. Now a question came up the, the other day about how long should I, in fact, it might be today that I showed a video online. I can't remember what video was released this morning, but the question was how long should I wait after applying foliar iron? And you'll see here, I waited a day. So we stopped the irrigation, we applied all the treatments. And then the next morning during the normal irrigation cycle, the irrigation went on. And the reason for that was, was I wanted to make sure that the foliar applications had chance to stay on the leaf surface. So what I told that gentleman was the same thing I did in the study. I waited for a day. Nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium were applied using a 15212. That's MPK, not NP205 and K20, which is what you are used to probably. At a rate of one pound of nitrogen on May, the end of May, and one pound of nitrogen on the beginning of October. So if you notice, from June, July, August, and September, in some parts of Florida, you can't apply any nitrogen. So I applied this as late as possible, the end of May, and then as early as possible, the beginning of October. That's when I applied the nitrogen, both years. Or I should say, we applied the nitrogen. Okay, so we applied it right before the nitrogen blackout in the summer, and we applied it right after the right at the end of the nitrogen blackout. 
Turf quality was assessed on one to nine scale with six was considered minimally acceptable. We collected clippings for yield and for tissue analysis. The soil chemical analysis was conducted as well for omega three nutrients and so forth. And that's all. Okay. Now let's go back to the soils. I want to make sure that we're clear on what exactly the soils were in terms of their nutrient content. So on the screen, I'm looking at table one, which is the chemical properties of the, this Fuquay Lamy sand was in J and then the Tavares sand was in Citra. Looking at the two soils, okay. And, and we're looking at Malik three analysis as well as organic matter, pH and CEC. Now one of, what I wanna point out here is the phosphorus was 33 and 37, Malik three, 33 in J and 37 in, North, in Citra. Look at the potassium. Potassium was 38 in J and 20 in North Central Florida in Citra. 20. So this is sort of tangential to the topic of the, of the paper today that we're going to kind of home in on. But by most soil testing uh, interpretations, including MLSN, including the sufficiency level slant, including even some of the um, some of the interpretations from universities, this twenty is low. Okay, the, even the thirty-eight is probably low. They would say you need to apply potassium. I would say, how do you know? <laughs> That's what I would say. Um, we're going to see in this study what happens. Okay. So keep in mind the potassium is 20 and I've heard people say on the internet, on YouTube channels, oh, well, my potassium gets below like 70, 80 or 90, I start getting nervous. or I start, I'll start recommending applying potassium, even a hundred. I've heard a hundred before hundred parts per million potassium. Yeah. You need to start applying potassium. I get nervous. Well, this is at 20, which is easily below almost every interpretation of potassium on the soil test, Malik three soil test. Okay. Magnesium is 65 and 80. Okay. And look at the manganese. Manganese is 90 and 30. There are, there is a little bit of evidence that, you know, maintain your manganese level a little higher around 30 or so or higher. There's a little bit of evidence that it can reduce the risk of some diseases, but we don't have good numbers on manganese in terms of what should be in the soil for adequate plant nutrition. There's not been a lot of correlation, I should say, on what it, what is the safe range of manganese. But I'm going to point out in this study, it was nine. Okay. So I'm dealing with a nine on manganese, a 20 on potassium, and then iron, which is almost completely useless on a soil test, but I'm going to show you anyway, 172 in J and then 60 in citra. Okay. So if you're taking a soil test with iron, I don't care what kind of soil test it is. There is almost no confidence I have. I have almost no confidence in what the iron should be on a Malik three soil test or, you know, DTPA soil test or you name it, whatever you want to name, whatever soil test the the correlation with iron is incredibly poor. It converts very rapidly into different species and it's just, we don't have much confidence in knowing or just saying it should be this number. And, and if it's below that number, you should apply iron. We have very little confidence that that's the case. And for many reasons, what I just mentioned, but also when you apply the iron to the soil, you saw just, um, 
in the last several studies, and you're going to see today in this study, applying iron sulfate, a soluble form of iron to the soil, doesn't do anything for the turf. It, it oxidizes so rapidly, it doesn't do anything. So what's the point in recommending iron sulfate if it's not even going to become available to the plant? So it's not easy to correlate, and it's even more difficult to calibrate iron on a soil test for a turf grass. It's not easy. And I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of anybody that has provided any convincing correlation uh, for iron on a soil test. I'm sure it exists somewhere in the literature. Someone can pull it out and post it, and I'll, and I'll make a point of mentioning it if that's the case. But I, it's, if you find one, I'll find ten that that didn't correlate. Okay. The CECs were low, four and five. Okay. This is pretty common for Florida. You will find, ironically or strangely enough, you will find some Florida soils that are in the tens and twelves. Those exist in Florida. Okay. It's not common, but they do exist. But this is very common. This is the more common situation where you see fives and fours and even threes. You'll see, you'll see very low CEC numbers. Okay. The pH was seven in North Central Florida and Citra and 5.3 in J in their organic matter. Okay. So I just want to point out that that's the soils we're dealing with. And I want to specifically make sure everybody understands that the potassium and even manganese to some degree, but the potassium would be considered low by almost everybody, except me. <laughs> I wouldn't even look at this. <laughs> but if, for you all looking at soil tests and getting stuff back from the lab and getting stuff back from whatever company is trying to sell you something, if they saw that number, they'd say, you need to buy our product and you need to apply, apply potassium. Okay? In my opinion, that's what would happen. Okay, now let's go to... The, the products, so make sure we're all clear on what, what products we used. So I had an, an untreated right here on the top, and then we have four iron uh, treatments, four manganese treatments, and four magnesium treatments. And it just rotates back and forth. We see two liquids of each, two granulars of each, glucoheptanate and sulfate of each, and then we have sulfate and sucrate of each. All right? So if you ever wanted to know the difference between foliar and granular iron or foliar and granular magnesium or foliar and granular manganese, you're about to find out on St. Augustine grass. Okay. I think that's all I wanted to go over for that, for the materials and methods. I'm going to come back. I've highlighted a lot of the results of the text that I'll read to make sure that I didn't misquote anything or misrepresent anything because I'm going to go over all the results and figures, but there'll be some stuff I might leave out and I've highlighted the text so I don't do that intentionally. I want to turn this thing sideways and show you this for some, for some reason, there's a, some people in the audience that are stats people. That's fine. Great. These are the type three test of fixed effects. You might, you might think these are a no, this is a no table for all pragmatic purposes. This isn't a no table, but for when you do, when you do glimmicks, it's referred to as type three test. It's fine. Whatever. Um, I want to point out that the three way interaction, I have three fixed effects, treatment, year, and location. Okay. And then the three way interaction was not significant for anything except quality. So that's a good thing for me. I don't have to show any of the uh, three-way interactions of any of the tissue stuff. I'm only, but all the quality will be shown according to three-way interaction. So I'm going to be showing the influence of treatment by location by year because the treatments were different by location by year. 
and the growth rate was not significant in the terms of the three-way interaction. I also want to point out that there was no significant influence of the, any of the treatments on the tissue analysis of NPK or calcium, nor on growth rate. So I've shown some studies that showed an influence of iron on growth rate, and I've shown some studies that showed no influence of iron on growth rate. In this study, we found no influence of iron or manganese or magnesium on the growth rate of turf grass, of St. Augustine grass, for two years in two locations. So I want to point that out. I'm not really sure why, why some people are interested in so much in the stats, but I've, I've got that impression that some people are interested in the stats, so I want to go over that. Uh, I'm going to show this real quick because it's the only table that I don't have a graph, or it's one of the tables I don't have a graph for. This is the uh, let's see, this is the concentration and the growth rate of St. Augustine grass, the NPK and calcium concentrations in the leaf tissue, and the growth rate of the grass as influenced by all these treatments. And as I showed in the uh, in the type three table, there was no significant difference. In any of these, there was no influence. So the nitrogen content of the St. Augustine grass leaf tissue was, if, I'm going to show this, I'm going to say this in percentages. It was 1.9% and it didn't change regardless of what you applied. The phosphorus in the tissue was 0.29% and it never changed. Nothing influenced the, the, uh, the tissue analysis of phosphorus. The Potassium in the leaf tissue was 1.0%, never changed, and calcium was 0.22%, and it never changed. The growth rate was basically one gram per meter square per day, it never changed. Nothing influenced it. So you might hear a lot of these things, well, if you apply magnesium, it's going to throw off the potassium. If you apply magnesium, it's going to throw off the calcium. You could, it could, you're going to apply iron, it's going to bind up all the, all the phosphorus. Phosphorus is going to bind, you know, it, all this stuff happens. Some of that stuff does happen in the soil. But when the, in the plant tissue itself, in this study, we found that the iron, manganese, or magnesium, regardless of the form, had no influence on nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, or calcium in the tissue, and it didn't influence growth rate. All right. Now, I think what I want to do now is, yeah, let me go ahead. Oh, let me explain one of the tables, and then you can go back if you want to. But I want to just point out, this is why I'm showing it in a figure, okay, because these tables are ridiculous. Okay, we have all this. This is one year. This is in Citra, and this is 2014, and then we have another year in 2015, and all the treatments. Then we go to the next table. We see all these data, and we go to the next table. We see all these data. You can see the the magnitude of the data in the study was immense. And I just look at I me; mean, it's just a lot. So instead of going over all these numbers, which I think it would lose even me, let's be honest here, I'm going to show them in a in a figure. But I'm going to explain in one column, and then you can go back and do your own snooping around in the data if you want to do that. The way this is read is week of year 23. So this is, I, this is the 23rd week of the year, not the 23rd week after application. 23rd week of the year. This is the non-treated. It was a 5.9 on the quality scale in Citra. And then it goes week of the year to the 25th, all the way to the 39th week of the year. And then it has the annual average, which was 5.7 for the non-treated. So it was rough. It was marginally acceptable. The, the untreated, non-treated turf grass was 5.7, slightly below acceptable limits on average. I mean, that's pragmatically, it's going to be acceptable, but whatever. And the way you'll read through this is anything with the same letter is statistically the same. It has to have a different letter to be different. So when you have the untreated, say an A and a B on the untreated and all the other letters, all the other treatments contain 
either an A or a B or both. And that means none of these treatments in the 23rd week of the year were different than non-treated turf. You might see some differences between treatments. Like, for example, the iron sulfate here from the granular iron sulfate was slightly lower than the liquid iron gluconeptinate. So there's a difference in those sources. But neither one of them increased the quality of the turf above non-treated turf, statistically speaking, anyway, in the first in the week 23. Okay, so that's the way you'd read through here. All these tables can be read the same exact way. Okay, generally, I would encourage you to con compare, if you want to compare anything, compare the treatments to the non-treated turf. If you want to start comparing treatments among treatments, that's fine. It's You're going to be there for a while. Um, but what I, really I think what the consumer would, would like to know is, did when I applied iron sucrate, would, did I receive anything in return compared to if I didn't apply it at all? I don't think necessarily people are saying, well, I'm going to compare iron sucrate to manganese sucrate. Well, if you want to do that, you can compare it in this table. I don't think most people care about that. I think they just want to know, did I get anything for applying it? And you can you can compare that simply by looking at how it is relative to the untreated plots. Okay, let me go back to the PowerPoint, which is where I'm going to show the rest, where we're going to spend the majority of the rest of the day here on this PowerPoint presentation. So now what we're looking at for those um, listening is we're looking at a, a one figure and we're going to show a bunch of figures. It's a line graph on the X axis has week of the year, 22nd through the 39th or whatever it is. And then it, on the Y axis is turf quality from one to nine. Every graph is going to be the exact same setup. The only thing that's going to change are the treatments on the graph. So in this case, I only have the iron products. You'll notice here on the legend, we have iron gluconeptinate as a liquid. We have it iron sulfate as a liquid, iron sulfate as a granular, and iron sucrate as a granular. Okay. I've, I've removed the manganese and magnesium from this exact 2014 citrus study it'll be on the next graph so i'm just we're going to be looking at just graphs of one element at a time so this is just the iron graph for 2014 citra okay the red line in every graph is going to be the non-treated turf now, sometimes you'll see the line greater than the red line. Sometimes you'll see the line below the red line. If you want to know if it's statistically different, you'll have to go to the table. From this example for 2014 Citra, you'd have to go to the table to see if this gap is significant or not. Now, we, I just told you it wasn't at the very first week. But then later in the next week or two, you're going to see on the tables that it was significant. But you'll see iron gluconeptinate, which is this orange-looking line, is generally is, is the highest in Citra all the way across. It didn't differ that much from iron sulfate liquid statistically, but there are times when it did. And both iron sulfate and iron gluconeptinate remained above the background, above non-treated turf. I believe the, the differences existed here. The differences existed here. Um, when I say here for those listening, immediately following the application, essentially, the difference main, was maintained for two or three weeks. And then it went down and then it went two or three weeks and then it went down and then it went up for two or three weeks and so forth. But the iron, the foliar iron products, both the liquid sulfate and the liquid gluconeptinate, resulted in an increase in turf grass quality above non-treated. When you look at the granular sulfate and the granular sucrate, we don't see any 
benefit. There's no increase. That, the, those are those are the blue and the yellow line, which is right along. They just follow right along the red line. So this was for an entire growing season, entire summer, I should say, in Citra. The application of iron sulfate granular, which is by far the most common granular iron source, provided us no value. Granular sucrate, no value. Liquid sulfate, at one-tenth the rate, by the way, one-tenth the rate of the granular sulfate, did provide us an increase in color. And liquid glucoheptanate provided us an increase in color. Or in this case, it's quality. But the majority of the quality increase was just from the color. Like I said, the growth rate didn't change at all. Okay, so let's go to 2015 Citra. In 2015, we didn't see that. Okay, we did, we, we did see glucoheptanate increase color towards the end here. I believe the table shows us a significant difference here on the 36th or 37th week way out here. But for the most part, the non-treated turf was acceptable. And the, the iron sources, granular or liquid, didn't have much of an impact. Now, I also want to point out, let me go back one slide, 2014. This red, this red line that I'm drawing across here was the minimum level. So the red, the non-treated turf was marginally acceptable during the entire year with, without applying any of these iron, manganese, or magnesium. There was, a, there was a time or two where it was in five and a half. There was times or two when it was in six and a half. So it was floating right around that acceptable limit in 2014. In 2015, it was above the acceptable limit for the majority of the year. You'll see this: the red line is well above that, that six value, which is the minimum acceptable limit. So the turf in Citra in 2015 was acceptable without applying any of this stuff for the entire year or for the entire summer. There was an occasion where the quality increased as a result of liquid glucoheptanate. And you, and you click on the table, there might have been an occasion where it was liquid sulfate as well. I can't remember off the top of my head. But for sure, the granulars did nothing. Okay, the granular irons did ne never resulted in any sort of influence or beneficial impact of the turf grass compared to doing nothing. Okay, so all that iron sulfate you're buying and putting it out on Palmetto St. Augustine grass <laughs> in Citra, Florida, it's all wasted money. Well, wasted to you. Distributor made some money on it. It's not, it's not wasteful for them. They made a profit. But you're not getting anything out of it if you did this exact same thing. Now let's go to magnesium and citra. Magnesium is odd because it's not a micronutrient. It's odd to me because I hear this all the time about, oh, you need to apply magnesium. It's the center, it's the center element in the chlorophyll molecule, and that's the reason it turns everything green. No, it doesn't. Okay, I'm telling you guys. You're going to see in this study, there's only one occasion where magnesium did anything. I'm going I'm to show you that. But don't get lost by these red herrings that come across and distract you by saying, well, magnesium is a center element in the chlorophyll molecule. Well, that makes sense. The chlorophyll turns it green, so I need magnesium. You do need magnesium. The turf needs magnesium. But that doesn't mean you need to buy it and apply it. The turf grass will get the magnesium from the soil in almost every situation without having to buy it and apply it. Okay, and, and I shouldn't say almost every, the vast majority of situations, magnesium does not result in an increase in greening that we can actually measure 
because it's getting majority from the soil. It does not oxidize like manganese and iron does. It remains soluble in the soil. Okay, it'll mineralize from from minerals in the soil or from the it'll from organic matter or wherever it is in the soil. It's it, it'll remain soluble, and the plant has access to sufficient amounts of magnesium. It'll take it up. Applying more almost never results in an increase in color. I know you can show me results that it did do that. I'm going to show you a result right here where it did do that at the end. But when you count it all up, you know, what, what is it? 20, it's 20, 20 ratings per year per location. So let's just say there's 80 ratings. I think two of them showed a response. Okay. So magnesium in 2014 and Citra, whether it was liquid glucoheptanate, liquid sulfate, granular sulfate, or granular sucrate, provided no benefit. There's no increase from applying magnesium to St. Augustine grass and citra. And remember the soil test level, I think was 65 parts per million. Well, I think things upside down. 65 parts per million in, in citra. Yeah, 65 parts per million in citra. So for sure, at 65 parts per million, there's a pretty good chance you're never going to see a benefit to applying magnesium. And I know, and I'm going to, I'm going to explain it a little bit later. There's act, the, the actual critical value is very likely much, much lower than that. I'm going to show you that I'm going to, I already highlighted it. So I'm not going to forget it. Let's look at magnesium in 2015. Not only do we not see anything increase the quality, we actually see some lines that, that biologically might actually show a reduction in quality. Glucoheptanate is here at around five, whereas the control is around six and a half. Let's see if that was actually showing up on the on the data table as significant. It probably wasn't. So magnesium. Yeah, no, it, it didn't. Let's see, where do I want to look? I want to look in 2015 Citra. 2015 Citra. Magnesium. No, it didn't, it didn't show, it didn't result in a reduction. Statistically, there was no reduction that I can see. So there wasn't a reduction that I can see. You know, I see it right here. Yeah, it's 5.1 and 6 and 5.96 and there wasn't yeah I didn't didn't uh, didn't pull out statistically so this gap here is not statistical biologically I'd say a difference between a five and a six six and a half you're probably going to see that but nevertheless it didn't increase it there was definitely no increase okay there was definitely no benefit to applying magnesium and citra all of 2014 or all of 2015 okay let's look at manganese manganese here's the non-treated the red the granular application of manganese sucrate may have actually decreased it slightly biologically, but there was no really no difference. Again, you can go through the tables and point out if I make a mistake in saying something differed or did not differ. The tables will will tell me where I'm mistaken. But you can see the red line in here, and for the most part, these all lines are all the same. There's a slight increase here. I doubt I doubt from five point something to six. I doubt that would pull out statistically. I guess I can look. That was 2014 in Citra. 2014 in Citra. No. Oh, there was one pullout. Yeah, there was a couple. There was one pullout towards the end. 
So this, there was one in here, right in here, magnesium or manganese sulfate, right in this general area here. This 6.1 compared to 5.1 or 5, there was a slight increase in manganese sulfate as applied as a liquid. Okay, but the most, the rest of the time, there was no increase or no benefit to applying manganese. But there was, like I said, there was one point where there was a benefit, and it, and it came as a liquid. Okay. 2015, we showed we showed no benefit at all. We actually, if anything, saw definitely a biological reduction to you know from 5.9 to 4 here. 4 being manganese sucrate, we saw a reduction in quality following the application of manganese sucrate. I would think that would pull out. Let me look in 2015. Yeah, it pulled out. Yeah, it's 4.5 versus 6 from manganese sucrate. So manganese sucrate both of oh four points yeah so it, it it reduced it for quite a while at the beginning so all of this here is this right here from manganese sucrate when i'm looking for people listening i'm talking about the first uh, three or four weeks after application at the very beginning we see a reduction in quality from manganese sucrate from five to like four ish around 4.1 4.2 and the control is around six 5.8 six something like that and that did pull out statistically biologically there's clearly a reduction from manganese sucrate but uh, that's also pulled out statistically so the application of manganese sucrate uh granular resulted in a reduction in quality and the application never none of the applications ever resulted in an increase except for that first year at the very end from one one uh rating date now this is why now this is all of that was all of citra this is why for many months weeks you if you've heard me say don't apply anything unless you have a good reason and it's my position on that or my opinion is not based upon one study. It's not based upon, well, I just did it for 10, 15 years and I, I don't think you know. It's based upon multiple published refereed papers that occasionally will show an increase occasionally, but just as frequently or more frequently, you'll see a decrease in quality and color from the applications of things like uh, manganese or even iron or uh, boron, for example. There's elements that can result in a reduction in quality and color and you don't may not even be aware of that so the risk of reducing your quality and color is is there and there is, there's also a chance it could increase but to me the chances of seeing an increase are pretty low pretty low you're going to see a benefit to applying granular iron or granular manganese you're not going to see much benefit to that at all. And, if, and you have a risk of seeing a toxicity to manganese by applying, by applying it like this. Okay. It's not like you can just apply it and it's like, well, the only thing that could happen would be beneficial. So why not, why not put it in there? I need some good miners. I need some micronutrients. <laughs> well, this is showing that if you applied it in this case, you would show it would result in a reduction. So I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying as long as I need to stop applying stuff, stop doing stuff unless you have a good reason. And a good reason is supported by evidence. And in the case of manganese, there, there are occasionally benefits to applying it in the literature. There are as much or more occasions of seeing a, a disadvantage, a reduction in quality and color from applying these elements of that manganese in this case. 
So you, you need to, you might not realize it, but you might be shooting yourself in the foot because you think you need a micronutrient package and you're spraying it out. Okay. It's just, <laughs> just don't do it unless you have a good reason. Now let's look what happened in J. Iron in J was similar the first year of Citra, where we see the liquid forms, glucoheptanate and liquid sulfate, show an increase in quality, but it only happened towards the end of the year. In J, the quality was a seven or greater almost all the time. The soils there are a little heavier. They they have it's a little bit more um, fertile in in J than it is in North Central Florida, and the quality generally will be a little bit higher in J than in Florida and in, than in Citra, and you'll see that in the ratings here. Where the this, the untreated or non-treated turf was a seven, it went down to a six here and there, but for the most part, it went you know six and a half to seven was the standard, and the average for the year. In, in J was 7.1 the first year and 7.5 the second year. So the average here was 7.1 for the non-treated turf. Even at 7.1, we still saw an increase here the last uh, month or two following the application of iron glucoheptanate liquid or iron sulfate liquid. Never saw benefit to applying any source of granular iron. So iron, granular iron sulfate or granular iron sucrate, nothing in the first year. The second year, we saw nothing from the granulars. I don't think we even saw anything from the liquids, if I recall. No, we did. We did see something from the liquids in the 35th week and in the 39th week. Okay. And then sulfate was greater than the only one that resulted in greater quality on average than the untreated for the entire season was the sulfate. So the sulfate resulted in an average increase for the whole season. And that was the only one that resulted in an increase relative to non-treated turf. But there were some increases by glucoheptanate and sulfate in this general area here, about 34, 35 weeks in, we saw an increase from the foliar application of glucoheptanate and sulfate. But sulfate was the only one that increased it for the entire year on average. Nothing else did it in terms of granular forms. The magnesium. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll get to the questions when I get past this right here. So I'm going to get through these graphs. The magnesium. Uh, you'll see the non-treated turf from the magnesium. Again, remain, and this is in 2014, remain, you know, seven, whatever it was. And you don't see anything happen for magnesium. We Remember, we didn't see anything happen for magnesium in Citra. But at the very end here, 34th, 35th week in Citra and J, we did see magnesium sulfate applied as a foliar come up on one or two. I think it was, well, you can see the, the spikes here. We saw it on this peak and on this peak, we saw a little bit of separation from non-treated turf from magnesium sulfate liquid. So out of, well, I'll just say, we'll just say 80. I can go back and count them, I guess. It's not going to be 80 ratings on this. It's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So nine, so 36, so out of 36 rating dates, so I was off on the 80, out of 36 rating dates, we saw two result in an increase in quality from the application of magnesium sulfate foliar. So two, so your chances are basically 5% chance of seeing a response from magnesium sulfate applied as a foliar. There was no benefit to applying magnesium at any other time of the year. And there was never any, a benefit from applying uh, magnesium as a granule. And you'll see magnesium all the time on granular tags, granular fertilizer tags. 
either apply to sulpamag or magnesium sulfate. There's a magnesium source called keserite, which is a mineral. Occasionally you'll see that on some landscape blends. Um, but you don't see a benefit to applying it. But we didn't see a benefit to applying it in J or in Citra ever. The only thing that did something was a, was a foliar magnesium sulfate towards the very, very end. So it can happen, very rare. Magnesium in 2015, we didn't see anything. You see the red line was started at an eight and it went down to about seven. Everything was very, very healthy, very acceptable. All the turf looked great. And there was no disadvantage or advantage to applying magnesium in J in 2015. Mag manganese, however, did show again Manganese sulfate granular did show a toxicity early on. I believe that that was significant, if I recall, in J 2000. And... Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe where am I at? 2000. 2000. And... So it's the 23rd week, and I'm looking at manganese sulfate granular. Let me make sure I'm not fibbing to you here. Manganese sulfate granular no it, it it didn't pull didn't didn't look like it pulled out so I'm off on that one no it did, didn't look like it pulled out so I don't see you can look I'm just looking at the tables on the to see if there's any separation on the statistics I don't see any separation from non-treated turf on uh, manganese. So, so let me erase that. Biologically, a six to a seven and a half is probably a reduction. Biologically, a, a homeowner is going to see this and say it's acceptable. It's still acceptable. Remember, it's still above six, but you're going to see a point and a half difference more than likely. That's biological, more than likely. But you didn't see anything else happen with manganese. Okay, in 2000, oh, that's, that's 2014. I was looking at 2015. Oh, it did separate out. I apologize. I, I was looking at the wrong year. So in 2014, it did separate out. So I'm, I'm getting all confused. So this is lower biologically and statistically. Manganese sulfate granular resulted in a toxicity early on in J, 2014. And it didn't seem, didn't, did not continue. So there was, it, on, it, on, a, on an average, it was annually, there was an average reduction too. But this was the reduction early on from manganese sulfate granular, very common granular iron, granular manganese component, granular fertilizer component, manganese sulfate resulted in a reduction in quality and never resulted in an increase in quality. Now I need manganese because, well, manganese performs a different function in the plant. It does have some influence on color through a different function of structural integrity of what's called grana. Those things can, which is where the chlorophyll and chlor, or the chloroplast are housed, those things can break apart in the absence of manganese, which can re result in a reduction in quality. That's a big stretch in most agricultural settings, but that could happen. So that's sometimes the hook. That's sometimes the argument people will make. Well, it influences greening through this way. It, it kind of keeps the house built where chlorophyll is housed, and then you need that for greening. Well, you do need it for greening, but you don't need to apply it. In this case, if you applied it, it would be a reduction. So again, 
you don't have a good reason, don't put it out. Manganese in 2015 didn't do much at all. You'll see the red line here didn't do much at all. I don't I don't see any uh, increase. You know, there's no there's no increase. It looks like there might be at the very very end from glucoheptanate. Looks like right in here there might have been a little bit of a bump up from non-treated from glucoheptanate manganese. Okay, for the most part. You know, you're dealing with 30, whatever I said, 38 ratings. You deal with one positive rating. You deal with three or four negative ratings on manganese, okay? And that's it on the graphs. I'm going to go back to the to the PDF, and I'm going to read through some of this so I don't, get, uh, don't uh, mislead you guys or don't miss anything that I should have mentioned here. PDF. So now... Let me read through this and, and make sure I just read the highlight. what I highlighted. Granular forms of iron, manganese, and magnesium did not result in increased turf quality during any rating period in either citra or J. So granular forms, iron, manganese, and magnesium, which are all three extremely common in granular fertilizer, never resulted in a beneficial increase in either J or citra over two years. Okay, the lack of response from granular iron and manganese is partially explained by their rapid oxidation in soils, which renders a majority of the metals unavailable for plant uptake. Magnesium is a, oh, let's see what I say here. I don't know why I said that, but the, the failure of granular magnesium to increase turf quality was not due to the conversion of magnesium to less soluble forms because magnesium remains soluble for several weeks after soil application. Instead, we postulate that the the two soils contain sufficient malic 3 magnesium to meet turf grass demands. In other words, it didn't oxidize out like iron and manganese did. It remained soluble, but there was already so much in the soil, we didn't it, applying more didn't help. So we, we postulate that. Precise malic 3 magnesium concentrations necessary to minimize turf grass magnesium deficiencies are not well documented. However, Sartain in 93 documented that turf grass response to applied magnesium did not occur until malic 3 concentrations were less than 18 parts per million. Thus, it appears that 65 parts per million in this study was greater than the magnesium concentration necessary to observe turf grass response to applied magnesium. Consumers may benefit from the reduction or elimination of applied magnesium when soil malic 3 magnesium concentrations are greater than 65 parts per million. So I'm saying greater than 65 because that's all I had in this study. Sartain found in a previous study, he didn't see anything happen until it got down below 18. Okay. So... I, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of using soil tests just ubiquitously and then just haphazardly. I mean, I, I, I use them for documenting potential turf grass issues or maintaining, you know, documenting uh, a um, pre-existing condition or something like that. But just a, taking a soil test and saying, "Oh, magnesium is low, so I'm apply magnesium." Doesn't there's not a lot of there's not a lot of confidence in that because we have documentation down to 18 before you ever see a response to apply magnesium. For sure 65, malic 3, which is what I found in this study. We never saw a, a benefit to applying granular magnesium for the, well, yeah, granular magnesium, at, at least at 65. Potentially down to as low as 18. Foliar applied iron consistently resulted in turf quality greater than or equal to untreated turf during each rating period and the annual average in Citra NJ. 
Because foliar applied iron is applied directly to leaves, it does not require soil solubility prior to plant uptake, and therefore is not subject to the same oxidation processes as soil applied iron. This renders more of the applied iron available for plant assimilation, which is evidenced by both the increase in turf quality and leaf iron content, which is what I found. My, I won't go into a whole lot of information on the leaf content, but I'll show you in a little bit in a second. The cause of the decreased turf quality resulting from foliar applied magnesium in J during the last four weeks of 2014 may be due to plant uptake of magnesium, but tissue magnesium did not support this assumption. So magnesium applied to the, uh, to the leaves, magnesium resulted in a reduction in some cases. Magnesium did not influence the turf quality in J in 2015, nor during any rating period in, 2000, in, in sorry, any rating period in Citra. Furthermore, leaf tissue magnesium concentrations was not influenced by magnesium compared to untreated turf. So we're applying all this magnesium. There was no influence of magnesium on the leaf tissue, which is shown in one of these tables down here. <clears throat> I think it's this one. Yeah, it's this one. I don't know if you guys want to know what's in all in the leaves, but we have a, t I have a table here that shows all this stuff. Magnesium concentration in leaves. <clears throat> and what you'll see is this was in values are pulled across years. And remember, there's no interaction, so I just pulled them all together. And you see there's no significant difference in the first two weeks. There's no significant difference in the last several weeks. And you'll see there was a star here which showed that magnesium sulfate liquid differed from manganese, but it did not differ from the non-treated turf. So applying magnesium sulfate as a liquid did not increase leaf concentration of magnesium compared to applying nothing. Okay, It did influence compared to some of the other elements for that one week. Not for the entire study. In the entire study, nothing happened. That one week, something did happen. Okay. Keep that in mind. It wasn't like that for the entire study. It was just one little blip on the radar. I'm almost done here. Getting down to the end. In the current study, well, let's see. Make sure I didn't miss any other text. Okay. In the current study, it is plausible that turfgrass uptake of magnesium was increased by foliar magnesium, but the difference was only measurable in older leaves. This poses a problem when attempting to assess deficient magnesium in turfgrass leaf tissue because when turfgrass leaf tissue is harvested, primarily tissue from the new leaves is collected. And you have to understand how the, the growth rate of turfgrass, it doesn't grow all the old leaves and new leaves growing up together. It's growing from a central point and then as the new leaves emerge, they either get cut off and then the more new leaves emerge and they get cut off, but the older leaves are usually underneath the canopy. They, they senesce and they die out and the new leaves come up. So you're almost always harvesting the new leaves. You're very rarely harvesting the old leaves. And because of that, and because of the mobility of magnesium, magnesium will translocate into the older leaves. And that, and, but you're only harvesting the new leaves. So this pose, so, so let's say, let me repeat it again. In the current study, it is plausible that turfgrass uptake of magnesium was increased by fuller magnesium but the difference was only measurable in the older leaves, but we're not harvesting those. That's a problem. This evidence may suggest caution should be used when interpreting turfgrass magnesium concentrations when tissue is collected from new leaves. Okay. I think I said that backwards. I think I, I think I, I think I said that backwards, but basically magnesium can move in the leaf tissue. Okay. So if you're only harvesting new leaves and there's no difference in magnesium, 
you might need to be collecting the magnesium from the older leaf to see if there's actually any deficiencies. I'm sorry if I if I said that backwards, but it's correct here in the text. Apologize. Sometimes I get lost in my thoughts and I, I listen back and I realize I said something backwards. But read the text. <laughs> that, that's where it's correct. Foliar and granular manganese resulted in an increase and a decrease in turf quality. So foliar resulted in an increase, granular resulted in a decrease. The increased turf quality resulting from foliar manganese sulfate in citra in 2014. And in J, during the, during the third, 39th week of the year in 2015, was not accompanied by an increase in leaf tissue man, manganese, indicating that the increase in turf quality was not directly associated with increased tissue manganese. So there was an increase. May have, it may have just been an anomaly. It may have been something else going on in the plant that was unrelated to the actual manganese concentration in the leaf tissue because we didn't see an increase in uh, manganese concentration in the leaf tissue. Con the conclusions. Foliar iron increased St. Augustine grass quality and leaf iron concentrations, whereas this study found no supporting evidence for the use of granular iron. I didn't show the... Did I not show the... Oh, I did, oh, here's all the main, oh, I see. Here's all the iron leaf tissue. I'm not going to go all over this because it's already, well, I'm already iron 15 minutes into this stuff. All the leaf tissue analysis, so you'll see right here, this is table eight, iron concentration in leaf tissue. You can go through all the same tables. You can go through all that same stuff and see all the differences if you want to see that. When you're applying foliar iron, you'll see, like, for example, here, you see. <clears throat> You know, 261 parts per million from foliar iron sulfate compared to 53 from applying nothing. So clearly you're going to see occasions where applying iron results in an increase in iron in the leaf. In some cases, um, actually in the majority of cases, you will see that for you know applying foliar iron increases it. Applying granular iron did nothing. And here's the average granular iron. Oh, you can't see it on the screen. Here's the average. Let me zoom that down a little bit. The average granular iron did nothing, foliar iron did, okay, for the entire average of that year. And then you'll see foliar iron again increases it, basically doubles the iron in the leaf tissue, and this was in, where was that, citra in the second year, and so forth and so on. You'll see, oh, was that J and citra? J and citra. Oh, I just pulled, I guess I pulled them. Oh, pulled by location. So I pulled them across location. There must not have been an interaction there. Anyway, you can go through all the leaf tissue and take your heart's content and go on through all that stuff and see exactly what changed and what didn't change. I'm not going to do that. That's the reason I publish it, so I don't have to do it. You guys can go read it if you want. <laughs> Granular magnesium did not result. This is a conclusion. Granular magnesium did not result in an increase in turf quality or leaf magnesium concentration indicating that granular magnesium is of little value to St. Augustine grass when the soil magnesium exceeds 65 parts per million. And very likely, it's much lower than 65 parts per million before you'd ever see a response to applying magnesium. Very, very likely. However, foliar magnesium increased turf quality, even in conditions when granular magnesium did not. Foliar manganese resulted in increased leaf tissue manganese concentration, but this rarely corresponded with an increase in turf quality. So occasionally you see an increase in leaf tissue, but it wasn't a, you didn't see a accommodated increase in turf quality. Granular manganese resulted in either no influence or reduced turf quality when applied in granular form. And thus granular man manganese appears to be unwarranted for use on St. Augustine grass 
at least under the conditions of the study. So granular manganese is potentially a problem. You see, you either see nothing or something detrimental happen far more regularly than you see something beneficial happen for granular manganese. So I would suggest not applying it at all. <clears throat> now, before I go, I'm going to go back up to the soil test. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, this table here has potassium levels that are extremely low, according to most soil test interpretations. It has manganese levels that are low compared, you know, according to most soil test interpretations. You might argue that the phosphorus is actually low too, in 33 and 37 parts per million. Some uh, self-proclaimed soil scientist might even say the calcium is low. If you ever, that, that's a key indicator you're dealing with someone who's a BS artist. And so they say, oh, your calcium's too low, you need to apply calcium. You are almost definitely dealing with a BS artist in turf grass science and soil science. Calcium is almost never low. It, it, is, it is so rare. It, it's, it, I can't even describe, it is unbelievably rare to see a turf grass response to applied calcium. Okay. So, but in this case, some people would argue that even the calcium is low. Okay. Magnesium, 65 and 80. So in general, these nutrient levels are by some standards considered barely adequate or on the low end. And what did we notice in the, let me go back to the, the PowerPoint. What did we notice in all of these graphs? The red line of the non-treated turf was acceptable. We applied nitrogen at the, at the very, very end of the spring, right before summer. We didn't apply anything for four months. Nitrogen, <clears throat> didn't apply any nitrogen for four months. And then we applied nitrogen again at the end of the blackout. So it went four months with no nitrogen on soils that are supposedly low in K, supposedly low in manganese. In some cases, they say low in calcium and all these things. And the turf was perfectly fine. Okay. Perfectly fine the entire time. There was, a, there was occasions in Citra where the quality was, you know, marginal is right at the six. It was right at the minimum level for quality it was a six. You'll see here on this table graph here for those listening. I'm showing a, a graph where it's showing the red line of quality, non-treated turf it was right at the six. So that's minimal. So when you go back to the this soil analysis, that is why, well, among many, many reasons, why I don't have much confidence in current interpretations of soil tests. Because almost every soil test you would have taken in any, any lab you sent it to, any interpretation of it, they would have said, this 20 is too low, you have to apply potassium. So you would have bought it, you would have applied it, the turf was already acceptable, and it stayed acceptable the entire summer with no potassium. We apply potassium with nitrogen at the beginning, and we apply potassium with nitrogen at the very, very end after the blackout. But all summer long, it cruised by just fine, no problem at all, okay? So I'm building, I'm, I'm, I'm communicating to you why I have the position I have on soil testing is because of stuff like this in the literature over and over and over where we see occasionally you see an influence if it's below this value, occasionally you don't. But in, most, in many, many cases, you see these very low numbers and the turf grass is fine. Turf grass is fine. 
Okay. So you can, we can do a soil test correlation and a calibration on a, soil, on, a, on a soil like that, and I'd have even more confidence in whatever that value is. But you'd have to find a soil that is even lower than 20 parts per million potassium in order to have a correlation and even, and even more importantly, a calibration. Because you'd have to have a soil test value that's on the very, very, very low end, like hopefully in the single digits. And the turf grass would have to be you know, unacceptable at that level in order to conduct a proper correlation and calibration study. Okay. Let me go into this, the, the chat here. Um, <clears throat> Randy says, what about MSN? You never mentioned it. What's your opinion on it? I'll be happy. Oh, well, so I just gave it. I'll be happy if you discuss it someday. I just gave my opinion on, on this particular study. So my opinion, if you want to know, I'll give it right now again. My opinion on MLSN is it's immensely valuable for people who don't know the literature. They don't know the general numbers of what you should be looking for, or you don't know the systems. It's kind of like a, a billboard for people driving by and say, okay, well, I remember that number, you know, it's 21 phosphorus or it's whatever, 37, I don't know the numbers, 37 potassium or whatever the numbers are. It's sort of easy to remember. And in mo almost every case, and, and well, in most cases, in many cases, it results in the consumer using fewer nutrients than they're currently using in, in many, many cases. So that's the benefit. There's a tremendous amount of disadvantages too. For example, this, this would have shown me, this would have told me, you probably need to apply potassium if you followed MLSN, 20 parts per million potassium. You probably need to apply potassium. I didn't apply potassium. I was just fine. So I would have wasted those potassium, that, that, that money had I followed MLS in rather than following my eye, rather than following the turf grass response or the turf grass itself, looking for deficiencies in the turf grass itself. That's more than likely the method that's going to result in the least amount of waste. Okay. So I don't have a problem with people. If you don't know what you're doing and you're looking for just like, Hey, the bullet points of something to quickly remember. So you don't forget then MLSN is good for that. You can just remember these values and they're more than likely going to result in a reduction of what you're currently using. But that does not mean that it's the most effective method. It does not mean that you don't waste product by using it. Okay. And it doesn't mean that you, because you follow it, you won't be deficient. It doesn't mean that. All right, that's my take on MLSN. What else? Garden Earth Guy, it'd be cool to see a weather graph with these temperature, rainfall hours, and sunlight. Well, I do have what you I don't know if you mean on this particular study. There is, I'll bring it back up. There is data. There are data. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, if you want the data, it's right here. I don't know if that's what you mean, Garden Earth guy, but there's all sorts of air temperature, soil temperature, precipitation, evapotranspiration, all that stuff for all of the months and the years for that study that we that I just conducted in Citra and in J. So if you want that, it's table three in that study. That's what else is. Is the magnesium sulfate, Lush Lawn says, is the magnesium sulfate response from the sulfur? Now the... The, I'm sorry, I'm probably, this is, you probably wrote that 30 minutes ago. The, the response, the question, the answer is probably, it could be, I wouldn't say probably could be, I didn't publish the sulfur content of this soil. 
I might actually still have those data somewhere. I don't know. Um, generally, sulfur is not included on omega-3 soil test unless you ask for it. And I'm very sure, I'm pretty sure I never asked for it on this particular study. But it's possible. Uh, there's a sulfate uh, deficiency response that I noted in Fort Lauderdale and as well as one here in Lexington. So it is possible that the magnesium response could have come from the sulfate. It's, it's very possible. Oh, Michael Brantley made a live show. Okay, welcome, Michael. Okay, elevated landscape, lawnscapes. Dr. Shaddix, when, when evaluating the info in the published articles, how close does cool and warm season grasses perform correlate? <clears throat> well, it's going to depend. Let me pull up this other article. It's going to depend on what you're what you're looking for. But I'll show you just briefly, just one that pops into my head, the, the Stiegler article that I showed a couple weeks ago. I think it's this one right here. I don't know if it's that one or this one. Let me look. Nope, not that one. And not that one. All right, it's this one. So this is just one example of elevated landscapes. This is just one example. There will be differences. There's clearly differences in, in some situations. So what the question is, what you know, how close do cool season and warm season grasses perform performance correlate? The performance correlates well in some cases. In this particular graph, I'm showing the uh, article from Stiegler and Karcher and Richardson. And this shows bent grass on the top of this graph and Bermuda grass on the bottom of this graph in terms of nitrogen recovery. This just happened to pop in my head. And you see the recovery of nitrogen from foliar applied nitrogen ends up being about the same for both. You'll see 40 to 40 to 50 percent in the first hour from both, and you'll see a total of about 50 something percent from both total. So from whether it's cool season or from warm season in this particular study, generally speaking, it was the same. The let me think here. I don't know of another one off the top of my head. I know of a couple, but I think they were just cool season. I'll have to look them up. But I, I would say in in general, it's going to depend upon what you're trying to measure, what you're looking at. It's going to depend on seasons and all these things. Okay. So I don't know how to answer that in, other than other than that elevated landscapes. I'm not sure. The you know, the uptake of nutrients is going to be different depending on the nutrient in this particular case of foliar applied to urea is basically the same but for example the the nutrient content of cool season grasses is going to differ greatly from warm season grasses the nutrient content of cool season grasses like nitrogen is going to be much higher than most warm season grasses the sodium content of some warm season grasses is going to be much higher than some cool season grasses so it just kind of depends on what you're looking at and what you're trying to measure okay uh that's all i got for today i will be back tomorrow morning at 10 on wednesday morning at 10 wednesday night at 9 and then thursday night on the grass factor at 9 guys okay so until then i appreciate everybody coming by and participating in the chat i hope you found it useful and i will see you all tomorrow all right guys have a good one bye